Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Xbell. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Spencer Marshall of M-Science. M-Science is one of the more established players in the alternative data world, having been first founded as Majestic Research back in 2002. In our conversation, Spencer and I explore the company's historical development, its current offering, its client base, and we touch on some use cases of M-Science's data. So M-Science is one of the big names in alternative data, one of the more established players. Um, before we get to it, why don't we start, Spencer, with talking a little bit about, about um, how you came to M-Science and how you came to alternative data, if, if it's a different thing. I had a very serendipitous path. So um, during my years of undergraduate college education, I was pretty engaged in Bitcoin mining. and eventually getting to the point where I had, you know, many thousands of square feet of, of rented commercial space to mine Bitcoin. And unbeknownst to me, one of my statistics professors had worked with my former boss at M-Science. And, and my former boss at M-Science had reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I need a statistician who knows something about semiconductors because he was trying to build a semiconductor research franchise. And thankfully my professor was like, I've got a guy, you know, he's been mining Bitcoin. He's been building Bitcoin miners. He knows about semis. He's a good statistician. Do you still mine Bitcoin? I don't still mine Bitcoin. Um, this was in um, 2010 to 2013, um, back when you could mine Bitcoin on, on computers and then on GPUs. Why aren't you living on your own island, Spencer, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> um, you know, I took investment to build my mining infrastructure. And so I had to sell a lot of the coins ah. that I mined, which... Uh, Damn. Yeah, which which hurts. <laughs> did, you have a, did you have a good... I mean, we, don't, we never really talked about Bitcoin on the Alternative Data podcast before, but, uh, but I'm just intrigued and we can have a little di digression. Um, did you, were you a believer at the time? Were you, were you, um, or were you kind of seeing it as a, as a kind of machinery task to do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it started as a machinery task. Actually, one of my roommates at the time was a real believer and still is, and actually bought a lot of the coin that I mined. Um, he is doing quite well for that decision. Um, but I became a believer over time and, and I am a believer now. And thankfully I didn't sell all of the coins. So it's, it's still the best investment that I've made in my life. But, um, interesting, interesting, what fun. Um, well, well done. Congratulations on that. First of all. Um, but anyway, so your professor, um, said, well, we've got this, we've got, um, I know someone who is statistically minded and already kind of putting it to good use. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I knew about semiconductors because I had been building Bitcoin mining rigs, um, and, and optimizing them for the process. And so I was kind of a fit for the role. Um, my professor told me, hey, I've got this guy you should speak to. It's an interesting opportunity. 
I had never really heard of alternative data. I mean, I certainly hadn't heard the term alternative data. Um, I knew that, you know, hedge funds were using, you know, satellite imagery to count cars in, in parking lots and, and kind of like the Wall Street Journal level understanding of alternative yeah. data. But I didn't know how rich the universe was until my former boss reached out to me and walked me through the, the data that M Science had. And I was like, okay, wow, this is a really compelling opportunity and took the job, ran with it, been doing it for the last six years. And um, never looked back. I haven't looked back. I haven't looked back, Ex except for the Bitcoin thing. Sometimes I look, <laughs> look back a little bit of that. Um, do you, is, was it called M Science when you joined the company? No, it was not. Uh, at the time, we were part of ITG, um, Electronic Trading Platform. Mm -hmm. And so we were called ITG Investment Research. Mm -hmm. And then maybe about a year into my tenure, um, Jeffries bought the ITG Investment Research Division and we rebranded it as M Science. And so now we are a subsidiary of Jeffries and doing business as M Science. But, you know, most of the, the core people, the important data, you know, we, we brought over. Yeah. Because M Science has been around because before ITG it was it was called Majestic something, wasn't it? The M is, is a kind of hangover hangover from Majestic, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we were we were founded as Majestic Research uh, before I had joined the company. Um, then we became ITG Investment Research, and now we are M Science. So classic financial services story. Yeah, but so this is what I'm kind of referring to in terms of M Science being so in uh, being around for a very long time since the beginning. Are you able? I mean, it's before your time, but are you able to put a date on when Majestic Research came about, and do you know what it was doing back in the day? Yeah, so Majestic Research came about in 2002, really doing the same thing that we are today, just not as sophisticated and didn't have as many data assets. So. In 2002, you know, credit card data hadn't really hit the scene yet. Um, we were much more focused on web crawlers and and uh, web traffic data and some of the, the earlier alternative data assets. And then we became an early pioneer in using credit card data and really ran with credit card data. And I think it's fair to say that we had a meaningful role in popularizing credit card data in the investment research process. And, it, and credit card data is still a very important part of, of our process at M-Science and a very rich data set. But of course, now we have um, around 60 data partnerships for different types of alternative data. Um, we're still collecting some data ourselves. And I mean, as you know, Mark, the availability of alternative data has really flourished over the past decade let me let me yeah so let's let's come in why don't we come in with you now in terms of you've you've arrived at itg it's um june 2015 what 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 does the world look like what sorry what does what does itg look like what 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 is the company doing on your arrival we had a very established consumer business and e-commerce e internet business that was largely driven by credit card data you know we were using other data types even back then, but um, credit card data was by far the, the most important input. 
And one of our objectives at the time, and one of the reasons that I was hired, was to broaden our coverage in TMT. And that likely meant using data outside of credit card data. So like semiconductors, not many people are paying analog devices directly with a credit card, right? So, you know, we started branching out into other data sources that would be useful to cover a broader set of of TMT companies. And I'm based in Portland, Oregon. And my boss at the time, Steve Weinstein, you know, he built out a Portland office and hired, you know, a lot of ex-Pacific Crest guys. Let's I think this is really interesting, Spencer, um, and I do want to drill into that more, but can you just, sorry, just begin by introducing exactly what what ITG was doing in terms of where it sat in the in the ecosystem, what it was consuming and how what it was putting out and how that was working? Sorry to interrupt. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we were writing investment research reports um, that would generally be you know, a, a, a PDF deliverable that looks and feels a lot like traditional equity research, but was entirely driven and founded by alternative data. We would also produce, you know, some kind of backup Excel files that would include summarized data from alternative data sets. And we were writing research on a little over a hundred tickers. And that was really the extent of our product. You know, the product was designed to complement ITG's high-touch trading business. And, um, you know, we were, we were much more of a, a conventional equity research shop optically yeah. when I joined in 2015. So the, so the, so the kind of route to, to kind of tie it up in a box, um, Majestic Research, ITG and M-Science, although M-Science now has, is a more diverse and complex business, but the roots of it are that... Uh, the the investment world has traditionally survived on um, data coming in in the form of prepackaged reports um, from equity research departments or or, or houses or, or or companies, and um, and so when alternative data as a kind of new modern form of data came about, then the kind of the majestic research, the the ITG and the M science, that is essentially um just uh, treating it in the in the kind of like uh, like 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 traditional data so it's an equity research house for alternative data so taking this new form of data and turning it into notes and then firing it off to the, the to the similar kind of clients that the equity research houses would be would be using is that a, is that a fair summary yeah that's a perfect characterization and really it's because that's how investors were used to absorbing information you know, through an equity research note. Sure. Okay. So that's the company you join. And I was sorry, I was intrigued on the on the part that I interrupted you at, because um, the alternative data that um, Majestic Research and ITG had been using was initially web scraping and then getting into consumer transactions. But it sounds like what you were saying is that ITG noticed that what they really well, there was a there was an exciting area to be covered in terms of the t- the technology, the kind of technology hardware, the semiconductor area, but um, web web scraping and financial transactions doesn't cover 
software or, or the semiconductors because people don't use their credit cards to buy semiconductors. So you were brought in to help solve that problem. And I, that this is where this is where I interrupted. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. And to be clear, the initiative was not strictly around semiconductors. You know, during this time, we launched coverage on video game companies, on the China internet space. Um, you know, we were doing work in handset sales. And really our goal, you know, there's there's kind of like a, a, a commoditization curve for alternative data. Like, mm -hmm. you know, credit card data hits the scene. There are not very many users of it. You can be very predictive of, you know, Chipotle system revenue or same store sales. And then other people find out about it. And then the alpha becomes a little bit diluted. And then it's incumbent on a company like M-Science to who, you know, we were a first mover in credit card data. Okay, well, we, now we need to be the first mover in the next set of alternative data, the next sector that's coverable with alternative data. And that's really what I was tasked with um, when I joined in, in 2015. And to a certain degree, that's still my task today. And, and that's going to be our job in alternative data, in my view, um, forever. Like we're, we're always going to yeah. be looking for chasing um, the next data. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what was the, what was the solution for the semiconductor space? What, what's the alternative data that's useful for it? Yeah. So there's, there's a few data types that are useful for it. So for more consumer facing semiconductor products like GPUs, um, you know, like Nvidia and AMD do a mm -hmm. lot of sales direct to consumer, not, not through uh, nvidia.com or amd but you know there are a lot of people buying gpus on on newegg or amazon or what have you so having product level transaction data um, is really helpful there so email receipt data point of sale data that's a good solution for for gpus and then for a lot of components that go into pcs tablets and handsets you know you if you can marry the volume of production or sales of handsets, PC tablets with teardown data that outlines the, the chips that are in those devices, then you can look at a chip level sell through model for the devices that are responsible for consuming most of those types of chips. So like if you understand global handset sales and you know which handsets are using you know, Qualcomm modems or Qualcomm systems on a chip. Okay, now you can be product predictive of Qualcomm, or you can understand, you know, what bit demand is for DRAM or NAND through the system. Or so the challenge becomes kind of linkaging to working out the logistics of what goes into the final retail product, and then you can kind of reverse engineer from that using alternative data as to as to how much of that of that um, you know subsidiary item is being sold. Precisely. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um, and so you were brought in as a kind of uh, as a someone who could who could help understand the semiconductor semiconductor world. So how has M Science changed in the in the time since since you joined? You know, our mission is still the same, which is delivering insights that are powered by alternative data. But we've just broadened in the number of companies where we're able to do that. So, um, 
you know, we did it in semiconductors and then, you know, we've done it internationally in Europe and China. Um, and then after my time on the semiconductor team, I built out a software research franchise um, using web index data that allows me to track the deployment of, of SaaS companies uh, across the world. Um, so, so, you know, we're still doing the same thing, which is we want to be able to provide insights to investors, but now we can do it across a broader universe. And that's still our mission today in the investment research business. In addition to that, we have started doing more and more business on the corporate side of the house. So this is corporations that want to see alternative data to improve their strategy or their marketing initiatives, um, which I think is going to be a growing opportunity in the alternative data space. Um, what, why now do you think for the corporates? Do you have well, a view? Yeah. So I think, I mean, data has always been useful to corporates, but sometimes the ROI has been harder to tease out compared to an investment manager. Um, so, you know, if, a if, if Burger King wants to understand the impact of McDonald's all day breakfast, you know, that's something that we can do pretty empirically using transaction data, mm. but understanding the ROI can be a little bit more difficult because that ROI is incumbent on Burger King management, then taking that information and developing a strategy that allows them to compete with developments at McDonald's. And I just made that example up, but I think it's a pretty yeah, yeah, straightforward yeah. example of, of um, how you can use data in a corporate setting. The ROI is a little bit more difficult to understand empirically. What, how, does the, how does it work in terms of M-Science uh, harvests? How many, what, what kind of quantities of data sets are we talking? Like what's the, what's the universe of data sets? Does M-Science um, buy the data sets from, from the data providers? Does it um, kind of rent them or does it have free access in exchange for something going back like what and then and then it collates all the information into into research which it then sells as kind of packages of research to, to clients um i suppose yeah so those uh, just a more of an understanding of where m science fits into into the ecosystem perhaps more, perhaps it's more interesting first focusing towards the the provider's end for us what's most important is is this data able to answer the the questions that investors or corporate managers have okay that's the first question then the second question is if the data is useful how do we get it and of course there are multiple routes towards getting data i mean the most common model and one that's common for us is licensing data from a vendor. Um, and so, you know, many of our important data sets come via that route. In some cases we are buying data, meaning, you know, the data is exclusively ours to use in research. Um, and then, yeah, in some cases we're trading for data. I mean, that's, it's always going to be case by case. Mm. Um, but the most important thing obviously is, is this data capable of answering the questions that fundamental data can't answer for 
investment managers or for corporate managers. And if it can, then we'll devise the next step is devising how and how and in which way we want to we want to get hold of it to um to to make use of it. Exactly. And in terms of um do you so when you have this data and you're compiling research um do you how are you using it are you using different streams and combining them in order to to kind of paint a a more holistic picture or do you tend to do one report for a different um, data set yeah so we're generally combining data sets in most of our research i mean i'm a big advocate of combining multiple types of alternative data so i'll i'll walk you through an example so mm. let's say you know we're doing work on Wix, um, which is, you know, a CMS, a website builder. And, you know, for a long time, what people wanted to know for Wix was, okay, well, how many premium subscriber net additions are they going to have in the period? And is that going to exceed or miss expectations? So there's a few ways to get at that, right? Like you can look at transaction data and look for the total number of unique user IDs and how that's changing. You can, you can fit that in a model to historical reported results. You can look at global web index data because you know the, the code that's used to power a Wix website is identifiable. So if you're able to scrape every website on the public web, you, know, you can infer how many Wix premium websites there are. You, know, you might look in domain registration data um, to see how many domains are pointing to a Wix name server. So you have these three different avenues for forecasting the same metric. And that's really useful, right? Because one, you can have a tighter statistical fit. Two, you know, if you lose any of those data sources, well, you have backups. And three, you know, alternative data never works perfectly every quarter. Like there might be a pipeline error at the data vendor's side. Um, maybe the way that Wix deploys their technology has changed and you haven't picked it up in one of your data sets. And so having multiple data sets also allows kind of like an automated QA. Like you can see if one of the data sets is going awry and you know it's going awry because you have two other data sets that are corroborating each other. So, so combining alternative data sets really adds to the reliability of the process. And it's something that we do across all of our work. That there's another angle of combining data sets as well, which is, so let's say that, let's, let's stick on the Wix example. Let's say that, you know, I'm, I'm really good at tracking total premium subscriber ads, but the story at Wix now is they've raised pricing and we wanna see how that's going to impact the model. Well, if I have global web scrape data, I have a great international read on premium subscriber ads, but I can't see pricing. Well, I can use, you know, maybe some domestic credit card data, maybe some international email receipt data and come up with a pricing mosaic and then put those together in a price times volume model to understand, you know, what collections and revenue is going to be at Wix. And I wouldn't be able to do it as accurately if I only had a single data type. So, there's there's a bunch of advantages to using multiple alternative data sources. And really, that's one of the reasons that I love working on the M-Science platform, because we have such a wealth and breadth of data. 
And maybe the data set that I originally licensed to cover Wix, you know, can be combined with something that the consumer team licensed to cover Home Depot. And it, it turns out that it's transaction data that's really predictive of average revenue per user at Wix. And, you know, the, the, the breadth of data that we have at M-Science is, is what allows us to do that, that type of data combination. I'm intrigued by, um, by something you just said. It sounds like um, that what, what the, 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 the process might be driven by the question that needs to be answered which suggests that potentially you are hearing from your clients what they want to know, and then you go out into the market searching for the data which will answer that question, and then you compile that into a report and send it back to the client. Is that the majority case, or is that kind of a one-off? And, and usually you're also going to get data, crunching it for interesting insights, and then selling that as a kind of, as a, as a kind of standard product. That's a, that's a great question. Um, and it kind of goes both ways. So, so the majority of our clients in, in the investment research business are very talented analysts and investors. And when I'm producing research on a stock, they probably know that business from a fundamental standpoint better than I do, right? I mean, these guys know the model inside and out and my value add is not to help them understand, you know, the, the financial model of the company or where it sits in the strategic landscape, because they already know that so well. And they also have maybe, you know, a dozen guys from other sell side shops who are, you know, helping them along that process. And mm -hmm. so sometimes I will just let them tell me like, Hey, this is what I care about on Wix. Like, can you solve for this? And if I hear that a couple times from a few different clients, okay, I'm going to start looking to see if I can answer that question with my existing data or if I need to license new data to be able to answer the question. But then sometimes, you know, so there's a great Henry Ford quote that goes something like, if I would have built what people asked me to build, I would have made a faster horse, which is to say that sometimes, you know, our, our clients since they're not as deep into the data as we are, they won't know everything that can be answered by the data. And so I'll have mm -hmm. to show them like, hey, here, here's another interesting way to look at Wix um, that, that really isn't part of the dialogue around Wix right now, but I think it should be for X, Y, and Z reasons. So it really goes both ways. You know, sometimes um, product creation comes from, comes directly from client requests. And sometimes, um, it's something that I think is important to the story and I think people aren't thinking about it enough. And so I'll pull the data and I'll kind of beat the drum on it. It's always this way because, um, when we're dealing with any middleman, then you have to deal with one side first before the other side. But, um, so it, it feels a little bit like we're coming to the, to the point at the end, <laughs> but, um, tell me about your clients. Who do you sell this research to? What kind of, what kind of profile are we talking? Obviously not specifics, but what, what kind of, what kind of clients are we talking about? The clients that we work with have evolved over time as the industry realizes the importance of, of having alternative data. So when we started, I mean, it was really just you know, fast money, long, short hedge funds. Mm. Um, they were the early adopters, but 
now that you know you have companies like Chipotle, which almost trade as a derivative of transaction data, like transaction data is now table stakes to be able to engage in a consumer facing name like that in the US. Now our clients have, you know, over time, our, our, our client pool has really diversified where, you know, we're still working with um, long short equity funds east of the Hudson, you know, the, the original adopters of this data, but you know, we're now we're working with, with more long onlys with more internationals. And as we talked about earlier, you know, with, with more corporates. Um, and my belief is that the profile of our clients will continue to broaden over time as more client types understand the power of applying alternative data in their process, be it investment research or corporate strategy, or, I mean, you know, maybe eventually we'll be working with, with states and governments. No, I, I think that's, that's much more happening that governments need to use alternative data to fill in some of the gaps in their traditional statistics um, in order to fully understand what's going on in their economies. That seems to be a, a definitely a growing trend. Um, in terms of in terms of your final product, um, does your does it vary a lot depending on the de defending depending on the client? Like it does it are there different outputs depending on the client or is it you, they get what they get type thing? The granularity that you can get from our products has been increasing over time and will continue to increase. And this kind of gets back to the maturity of the data analysis landscape um, across investment managers and corporates. So, you know, when we started at ITG, you know, really the majority of our products were a PDF note, and then you could get on the phone with the analyst if you wanted to, and that was that. But as sophistication in the industry has increased over the past couple decades, you know, now we have interactive dashboards, um, you know, all of our data is accessible via API, and we're also beginning to sell raw data where we have the exclusive rights to sell the data. And, and we're still producing PDF reports, right? And the goal is to offer products with differing levels of granularity so that we can meet the client with the level of granularity that fits best into their process. You know, if this is, if you're covering 200 stocks and you just want to read a quick bullet on each one, we've got you covered with the PDFs. Or, you know, if your team is going really deep on a single name and they're going to make a big investment decision on that name and they want to look at every data type that might be relevant, well, we can help them with that too. We're, let's say PDF documents at one end and, and um, kind of the API, you know, um, raw data stream at the other end, which, which end would you say is growing faster? So there are cycles um, because there's a few different forces at play here. Like as more and more long onlys realize they need to have an alternative data strategy, you know, we are doing more and more business with them and they kind of rely on us to be almost like their outsourced alternative data science team. Mm. And so that business is growing. And then among the early adopters, you know, that they're resonating more and more with having direct access to the data. So thankfully for us, 
you know, both businesses are growing, but it's due to different client types who are on different points on the data maturity curve. And in terms of the direct data sales, is that is, is all your data for sale or are there specific types that you are, are trying to sell? How does that work? Yeah, so not all of our data is for sale. Um, really just data sets where we think there's an opportunity because the data hasn't been commoditized yet. And so we've struck an exclusivity agreement with that data provider or the data is ours to resell. Um, and so I'll give you a couple examples. So what, one of the data sets comes from a company that is called dataprovider.com, ironically. Um, they have global web index data where we can see hundreds of fields of technographic and firmographic information about every public domain, every public host name on the web. So every website on the web. Um, tremendously powerful data. You know, we were early adopters of it. And so we wanted to be able to sell that raw data to the investment and corporate community. Another example is data from a company called peak.ai um, who pulls in Google Analytics data for hundreds of thousands of global e-commerce merchants very differentiated data. Um, it includes, you know, point of sale information, uh, web traffic information, customer engagement, advertising spending um, for hundreds of thousands of global merchants. Again, you know, we were early to discover this data, early to figure out how powerful it was. And so it was something that we wanted to have exclusivity on and, and be able to, to resell. So not all of our data sets are for sale, um, just the ones that we think are nascent and, you know, we really want to help clients deploy in their work. Spencer, I think that's been a really, really useful rundown of what is, uh, as I say, a, a, a very major player in the alternative data space and one of the most established players. Um, so thank you very much for, for kind of walking us through some of the history and the model and, and your own background in it. Um, it's been uh, it's been very useful, I think. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Mark.